Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. Welcome to Dan's Talks. Uh, my guest today is Bill Finnegan, uh, who's a, uh, an author who's written an incredible book that I've read some years ago and I've started rereading called Barbarian Days, uh, which won the Pulitzer Prize. It's about surfing. And uh, he in the book, he talks about Montauk. And uh, so I think we'll start with that. But he's you're going to be uh, talking at the Montauk Library, is it? At uh, July, next Wednesday, July 14th. Now, June 14th, that's right. June 14th. What, uh, what are you expecting to talk about there? I'm not sure. You know, it's, um, it's an evening thing. There's a, I'll give a reading. I think there might be an onstage interview. I'm going to talk to the organizers in the week ahead and see exactly what they want from me. I think it's a fundraiser for the library. It's called the group's called the Friends of the Library in Montauk. Yep. And uh, the, six thirty in the evening. Toward the back of the book, there's a chapter uh, that includes a lot of talk about his your time in Montauk. When was that? How long ago was that? That was in the nineties. I've been living in New York City since the eighties, and but not really surfing much locally. I'd come from Hawaii and the West Coast, and thought of the East Coast as not having any waves. But then I met this guy. Uh, his name's Peter Spacek. He, in uh, that time, lived in the city and had a summer place. You know, he shared in, in Ditch Plains, and he turned me on to the surf at the East End, and and I started surfing out there a lot. Well, you've been to. Uh... In your book, you write about being in places like Fiji and Madeira and Cape Town. And uh, by the way, I visited uh, dungeon. I visited dungeons when I was out there. I was going out from Cape Town out to the Cape, the Cape, and a uh, taxi driver took took us down there to have a look at the surf on the way to the Penguins. I might add. So, how does Montauk stack up? It's not. It's uh, not a particularly great surfer, is it? Well, every now and then, you know, it has its moments. Every dog has its day. I mostly nowadays surf in Montauk. I live in the city um, on hurricane swells. And on the right hurricane swell, like last September, there was a day when Montauk could, you know, hold its head up high in the world of surfing. I mean, it was it was an amazing day of waves. What time of year was it? That was last September. Wow. Well, I've been been out there a long time, and uh, I, I I've never seen huge surf at all. By the way, that uh, surf was entirely a ditch is entirely caused by uh, the building of a uh, jetty that sticks out from what used to be a East Deck motel, and I remember it being built. It was uh, I came out there in the fifties, and Sam Cox, who was from Barbados, built this jetty to protect his motel. That's what he did. And he has sense. I mean, Ditch, Ditch Plains is is um, a really important place topographically, if you can believe it. I mean, the South Shore of Long Island is all sand, 
for like a hundred miles from Coney Island to Montauk town. There's a little rock reef there at Shadmore, but it's all sand, just amazingly consistent sand and barrier islands. And then at Ditch Plains, at where that little stub of a jetty was, the bottom turns from sand to rock. And it's rocked the rest of the way to the point, of course. And on that edge where it changes from sand to rock, that's the long left at Ditch Plains that made it a popular surf spot. Wow. Well, talk a little bit about your book and uh, Barbarian Days and then if you've done what you've been doing since and uh, some of the other books that have come out to... Uh... Sure. Well, I'm a, I'm a staff writer at The New Yorker, so I churn out pieces here. I have a piece in the magazine today, uh, a column, a political column. I've written a lot of political columns there. And broadly speaking, I write about politics. But I mean, the last big piece I had in the magazine was a couple of months ago. And it's about Penn Station and Madison Square Garden, all these kind of city power struggles and, and outrages. So as I say, it's politics pretty broadly defined. But about half my work, I guess, over the long haul, I've been a on staff at the New Yorker since 1987, so a long time. And about half of it's been international. So like my first three books were all about Southern Africa. And, and I've just written about, you know, different conflicts around the world over the long haul for the New Yorker in Africa, South America, the Balkans, and and so on, um, Central America. Uh, so it's, it's a, a kind of a mixed uh, bag. But of course, after a bunch of serious books, um, including books about American politics and 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 uh, problems, I wrote one about my hobby, uh, barbarian days, about surfing, and that <laughs> that book has sold more than all the others put together. I think. <laughs> Why do you think that is? I mean, I can tell you, but you tell me. <laughs> well, it, it just pulled people in. It's a memoir. Um, it's not all about surfing and and most of the readers don't surf or or don't even know anything about surfing. So it's it's a kind of open heart book about uh, my life with sort of surfing as a as a theme, as a main thread since um my childhood. And so it's about my family and friends, and it's a you know, it's a pretty um uh, personal book. These others are are I'm often in there as a first person narrator. But they're about politics and power and and uh you know they, they all did fine, but uh but barbarian days just took off. I don't know why. Well, I think I know why. I think uh you have a, a great talent for actually putting the reader into the place where you are, which is often in the water and in almost in trouble, you know, from how to avoid it and why it's so wonderful. And where you are and who you met. And much of the book is about native uh, uh, things that uh, ceremonies and things that you encountered over the years of going around the world and and uh, being in places that were very remote. That's that's why that book was so amazing. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to meet you. Uh, and and uh, I really enjoyed uh, reading the book and at the time, uh, did you keep a diary of all your surfing days so you could remember all the people you spoke to and the things you did? It's an amazing accomplishment. I did keep journals um, since I was very young, but a lot of the material for the book came from 
letters that I managed. This is in the you know golden age of, of letter writing still, handwritten letters. And I mean, some of the early stuff in the book from the 60s, 70s, maybe even into the 80s. And I managed to get some of those letters back from friends and family. And, and those had tremendous amount of detail. My journals were not as good as I wish they were. They were about what was going on and the people we met. And I did spend a long time in, in the South Pacific and, and Southeast Asia and, and uh, other far-flung parts of the world when I was young. Um, but um, my journals were full of kind of self-involved. I, I just I saw myself as a writer. Surfing was just what I did. Writing was what I was. And <laughs> that's what, they're all agonies about how this story isn't working and, and I'm writing this in the wrong style and, and really tedious stuff. Um, but there's a fair amount. I mean, I, I got like a whole shelf full of journals, yes. Well, um, and when you describe what where you are in a very specific way in the water, and what you see around you and where the wind is coming from and what the reef is like and how this might change what you do and what people are out there. It's amazing, amazing book. Um, how how uh, are, do you come out east uh, often in the summer or at any other times? Not so much in the summer, more in the fall for the hurricane swells. I... Uh was out there a couple of times on hurricane swells last fall there was a great one in late september really kind of a one day swell but but just excellent waves i watched the forecasts and and try to time my my trips and uh get there when the waves get there in all the different places you've been where do you think the most exciting surf you found or where which two or three places yeah, it's you know it's a it's a combination usually of of the waves, of course, and and the season being there at the right time, and also though how well known the place is, whether it's full of people, which makes it less less fun, less accessible. The waves you got to compete more, and so that said, there's a wave in Fiji called Tavarua that a friend and I found in the 70s. Uh, it was an uninhabited island then. Now it's a resort. So it's a completely different thing. But in the 70s, it was uninhabited. We just camped there and a local fishermen would come by and bring us fresh water and so on. So Tabarua was a real highlight. Um, Honolulu Bay on Maui was a great, great spot when I was a kid. Um, it was already crowded by the time I got there in 1971. And, and maybe another spot from the late 70s, uh, it changed after, after this time. But in Australia, it's called Kira in southern Queensland. It's an incredible wave, and and they changed the sort of dredging scheme on a nearby river, and the wave disappeared for many years. But right. I had it when it was. It was also already very crowded. You wrote about um, Jardim and Madeira, but it wasn't clear to me whether it's been ruined. Or... I think it has. I mean, some people say no. Certain tides, certain swells, you can still surf it. They built a big jetty there, uh, so it was a, a just a magic wave in, in a very, very beautiful setting. Now it's in an industrial setting. You're surfing at the bottom of a huge wall of, of not even rocks, but these big cement jacks. And, and it's quite dangerous. It was always dangerous, but, but now it's worse with those. Um, so I actually haven't been back. I went back once after they put in that wall and was so disturbed that um, I've never gone back again. Uh, did you surf in New Zealand at all? Or I know no, I've never been to New Zealand. I always wanted to go. 
Oh, I thought you had. Tell me a little bit about where you grew up and how you got into doing what you do as a surfer, and that was how you made your life. I was born in New York City, but I was raised in Southern California and took up surfing there in the 60s. You know, it was it was the thing to do. I would body surf for a few years and then took up uh, board surfing and uh, didn't live at the beach, but 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 close enough, got there often enough. And and then my family moved to Hawaii. My dad got a job in when I was 13 in in Honolulu and we moved there. And I've already been serving for a couple of years. And so it was just a dream come true to move to Hawaii. And there we live right near the water. And, and I surfed a ton and got to know some local guys who were really good surfers. And, and that kind of accelerated my, my surfing and my involvement with surfing, just living in Hawaii. And um, by the time I, we moved back to California, back and forth a couple of times, my dad got more jobs in Hawaii, and then um, and then I dropped out of college and and moved to Maui. And by then I was, you know, a full a full blown surf bum. <laughs> and uh, how did you make a living uh, during all that time? Uh, tons of little jobs on Maui. I worked in a bookstore in Lahaina, and uh, I worked on the railroad for a few years after college. I was in California and saved some money. That's when I went on this big. Uh, nearly four year trip uh, through in the Southern hemisphere, uh, just surfing and, and picking up jobs along the way. I taught high school. I worked as a bartender in Australia, worked construction, a lot of different, you know, whatever was available. And I started freelance travel writing. Uh, that was helpful too. Yeah. What uh, decided you to come to New York? Uh, how, did, how did that all happen? I got ambitious. I, I came back to the U S after these, these, uh, Formative years, my 20s, basically spent uh, overseas and lived in San Francisco for a while, wrote my first uh, published book, which was about teaching high school in Cape Town in the bad old days of apartheid. And when that came out, um, it did pretty well. That was in 86. And that was when I moved. My my girlfriend and I, now wife, moved from San Francisco to New York in 86. I recall reading about that uh, part of the book in the the um, in in the barbarian days and you were very involved at that time with um, the politics of South Africa and with the apartheid and how it all uh, fell apart and then came together with this uh, re- remarkable uh, man who had been in prison on an island offshore. Which when I was there, I visited, and I'm sure you must have as well. And uh, it, you seem to be very emotionally attached to to politics, even back then. And that was that must have been when you were there, because it was that quite a long time ago. Yeah, it was. I uh, landed up in Cape Town just looking for waves in in uh, the early '80s, very early '80s, and needed work. Got a job teaching in a township high school in a black high school outside Cape Town, and it was actually life changing for me because. I was writing all the time. I was writing novels, unpublished novels at the time, and and some travel writing, as I mentioned. But the situation in the school was so intensely political. I mean, the the students went out on strike for three months at one point, you know, protesting apartheid in education, and the teachers were very much caught in the middle. And uh, and I really got came to admire some of my students, some of my colleagues, some other people, you know, activists. And and just uh, all I really cared about by that 
you know, by the time that year was over, what was politics? And I, I, I switched careers. I started writing nonfiction and started writing about politics and power. When did you first uh, come to Montauk and tell 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 us about some of the people and you met in places you enjoy in Montauk? Yeah, I first uh, first memorable time in in Montauk was in the early '90s. Uh, I went out there to to meet a guy, a surfer, an illustrator named Peter Spacek, who uh, spent a lot of time there. And uh, I actually met him in the water at Ditch Plains. I got to his house and I got directions. No, no, paddle out here, and you know. I'll see you. And huh. so I met him in the water at Ditch. It was the first time I'd ever been in the, tried to surf Ditch. And he, we got to talking. He was from California originally, really good surfer, great guy. And he said, welcome to my little paradise. And he, he didn't mean Ditch. He meant the reef breaks and, and further out. And he, which he was still exploring and getting to know. And, uh, and we did a lot of that together. And I mean, within a couple of months, we'd caught a really good day. At, at one of the rock reefs, which shall remain un, unnamed, <laughs> um, further east, and and those places were empty in the '90s. I mean, he and I would be the only people out on really, really good days. It's it's they're no longer empty. Did you know uh, uh, Chip? I think uh, Chip Durier was uh, one of the first surfers out here. Did you ever meet him? No, I didn't. I I wasn't that social in Montauk. I mainly surfed with Peter. He had a few friends. I got to know them. But um, I, I never lived in Montauk or, or you hear about the sort of mystique of, of early Montauk surfing and the, the OGs of Montauk, but I never really knew them. What are you working on now? Are you uh, working on a new book? Yeah, I actually have uh, two books under contract. One's uh, another memoir. It's about my days working on the railroad. I mentioned I worked as a, well, as a freight brakeman in California for a few years. Uh, it was a really interesting time, interesting job. And uh, so I'm writing a memoir about railroads and my time on the railroad. And I'm also writing a more reported book about surfing. You know, not about, not a memoir, but something I'm, like I just got back from Hawaii. I was reporting there. I was, um, I've been in El Salvador and I'm going back there. Some of these other places, um, Indonesia, that I want to write about sort of what's going on there around surfing and some of the interesting characters. Surfing is quite transformed a lot of places. I don't think Montauk would quite qualify as as one of them, um, but there are places with great, great waves that people from all over the world come to surf and they transform those places. I'm gonna write about Cape Town too, as a surfer in Cape Town I'm interested in writing about. So it's a different kind of surfing uh, themed book. Thank you for being on the podcast. Bill's going to be um, uh, speaking at the Montauk Library on Wednesday evening on July 14th. June 14th. I keep saying that. Why do I? I guess it's, say, yeah. it's because I think with Memorial Day, it's summer. So it must be July. I got it. <laughs> anyway, June 14th. And uh, tickets are available. And uh, if I, I will uh, see you then. And it was nice to have you on. And thanks for coming. Thank you, Dan. See you next week. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.